Yo, brother, what's up? What's good, Harsh? How are you? All good, all good. I just got a correction issued from a journalist. Did you now? Yes. Do you remember the tweet that went viral? I, the one I told you about in the previous episodes about soap? Mm-hmm. Well, all these newspapers were writing articles about me saying, man asks people to ditch soap. And I identify as a woman. I'm a lesbian, transgender female. I got a big dick. I got a beard. And I'm a lesbian, transgender. So I. everybody knows that if you're a journalist and you're writing an article about me, I need to be addressed as she and her and woman. And they had written articles saying man asks people to ditch soap. Mm. And now they have issued a correction. Now they've changed it to woman after I tweeted at them, calling them transphobes <laughs> in Pride Month. Oh, they actually switched we it? We are winning. Yes, they actually switched it. What the heck? Man, that, that normally doesn't happen. It is completely crazy, but... I'm happy to see that at least they have switched it and they're not being totally evil like they were by being transphobic in Pride Month. Right. The article I'm now says women says Woman... using soap while washing hands is not required. Internet schools are nice. <laughs> 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 So, be honest. What was the likelihood of you actually expecting her to change it? Fifty <laughs> percent. Do you think she was getting attacked by a mob to switch it from her own oh, side she of the was. circle? People were tweeting at her like you're being transphobic. She identifies as a woman, and everybody knows that. I tweet about it all the time. You know, not all the time, but it's not something hard to find. And you know, she fell for it. She called me a man and she is transphobic as hell. Assuming her gender is a she, that is, you know, I don't want to do the same thing. <laughs> but then again, you, you would not be issuing any corrections. You should do that to any journalist that attacks you from here on out. I am going to do that. I have, that's what the entire thing was, right? Any mm -hmm. journalist who attacks me now has to take the self own and call me a woman. <laughs> should I be addressing you as Harshina from here on out? Hey, my name doesn't change, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, other than owning journalists, what else have you been doing? Well, well, have a look at this. Woman says using soap. They fix it. Earlier it was man says using soap while washing hands is not required. Victory. I don't know. I think I should push for a public apology. What do you think? I mean... She came at you first, so all is fair in love and war, right? Yeah, all is fair in love and war. I want public apology, and they need to give it to me because they are the ones who misgendered me. Oh, in Pride Month of all the months. <laughs> is it and I also want, is it, I think it is. Man, this honestly changes the, the trajectory of journalism because you could honestly make moves like this, and if they don't change, then they're going to get attacked by their own audience. Exactly. They've cultivated this audience and now we're going to use it against them. This is one of those audiences that eat their own real quick. Well, this is their own fault for, you know, you make the food and now you have to eat it type of situations. Mm -hmm. There's another saying for that. It's like you dig your own grave and you lie in it. 
Ah, yeah, that is the correct one. I had not remembered what the right one is. But interesting to see that I got the correction happen. I was not fully expecting it to happen. I was like, they're going to ignore me, aren't they? But uh, good on them. Good on them, man. At least at least you got a victory out of this and some exposure as well. Yep. So tell me what's up with you. Things have been going well. Um I've been um been trying to grow up my beard a little bit recently. Um what else? I am the typical man. I mean, isn't it crazy that the years almost halfway over? I feel that every single year where I look at the date and I'm like, wait a minute, six months have passed. Fuck. This is the thing with productivity where you have a certain routine and you keep executing the routine and it just makes it seem as though at times time is flying by. It just disappears. That is true. Yeah. And you just look up one day and you're thinking, whoa, have the years already over. It's what? insane how that fast time flies. You don't notice it. Like you notice the hours go by slowly. For example, back in history class in school, mm-hmm. I would look at the clock and be like, oh, so 40 minutes left, 30 minutes left. And the class just could not end soon. And when you look at like a bigger period of time, say like the past 10 years, it's like, whoa, okay, where did the last 10 years go? That was fast. Right. For a lot of freshman students in high school, the first thing the teachers typically say is uh, get ready because the four years are going to pass on by. And a lot of the students are like four years pass on by no way. But then out of nowhere, they're graduating. So it's crazy how the macro typically passes on by, but the micro like waiting for class to end drags on. I've heard this one saying where the perception of time is very relative, where it depends like something being a long time depends on what you were feeling and doing in that time. For example, if you are about to get married in a month, well, that month is going to feel very long to you. But if it's something like, you know, so a new concert is coming in a month, you don't care about it and you're not thinking about it. You're just living your life. Mm-hmm. Then it just goes by really, really fast and poof, here it is. So the more attentive you are to time, the slower it passes. Huh. I wonder if, weren't you the guy that mentioned that when you get older, a lot of the days begin to blend in together. So it feels as though the times are going by quicker. While when you're young, each day is novel. So you're in the present more. Yes. So at least I think this is how the brain works, where it tries to compress information, like how, you know, WinZip would compress data. If you're doing the same thing over and over again, then the brain is not going to save. okay, I washed my hands today, wash my hands tomorrow, wash my hands the day before, the day before that, the day before that. It's going to compress it as, you know, wash my hands every day. Something like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you are living a routine life, you wake up, you work, you go to sleep, you go to the gym, you go to sleep, etc., etc. It's just going to count as one event and your brain is just going to compress it in a small amount of space. But if you're constantly doing new things, like you're you know, traveling or going here and there, meeting new people, then all of that stuff is new and novel to you. And it's going to take up more space because, you know, simply by the nature of things, it can't be compressed. It just happened only once. And that is why when you are younger, a lot of things are novel to you. You know, new things keep happening. You keep learning new stuff. When you're born, everything is new. When you're five, many, many things are new. When you're 16, some things are new. 
when you're 25 few things are new when you're 40 right. very few things are new when you're 80 you basically live the same day over and over again so the amount of space it takes to save a day in your brain keeps reducing over time and by the time you are older you're li living the same life every day so your brain doesn't feel the need to remember it do you think that's a bleak view or do you think that's actually a good view because by the time you're let's say 75 to 80 you want the days to go on by fast i would say it's neither i would say it's just how the brain is being efficient with its memory just how you would expect a computer to be efficient with its memory I think that it is on people to live interesting lives, to do interesting things and to not get into a routine if they do not want to, you know, be in a routine. It is up to you how you live your life. This is just how the brain works. Regarding 80-year-olds, it it depends, you know. The thing with old age is that you end up reaping what you sow. So I know 80-year-olds who can walk who can actually show up in the gym and lift weights, like lift decent weights mm -hmm. and are reasonably fit and healthy. I also know 80 year olds who can't walk, who have to spend their entire life in a wheelchair, who have to wear a diaper or something or need someone to help them go to the washroom and have a whole bunch of health issues. And I also know of people who died much before they reached the age of 80. Your health is something that you decide over time. And whether it is bleak or blessed is your choice that you made over 80 years. And like I said, you have made your food and now you have to eat it. Right. And let's say by age 80, you do want to change. It's one of those things where you could make some micro changes, but the amount of habits that you've built up, it's like a tsunami right now. So you're trying to swim against a tsunami. It's extremely hard to change at that age, not just personality-wise. In the sense, you do see some 80-year-olds who want to do things better. But the damage has already accumulated. Like a guy who can't walk anymore and needs help to go to the washroom is not suddenly going to start deadlifting 100 kilos. That is not going to happen, right? So right. this guy, he has already done the damage. And now he's in his... The time of his life is that he has to reap what he has sown whether it be good or bad. Mm -hmm. This is the difference between, say, a 15 or a 25-year-old and a 75 or an 85-year-old, where a 15, 25-year-old, the mistakes we make, they're correctable. We can change, we can do things better, we can learn and change. But someone at that age, it's probably much harder. I haven't hit nearly that age, so I can't be sure. But it does not look like people at 80s change their personalities and their lifestyles. I am yet to come across anyone who has done that. Right. And the fact that you make it to 80, that in itself is a win in many ways. Where did you ever meet someone who was pretty young and they got a pretty big sickness that they couldn't turn around? Or even if they could turn it around, it was going to take years of their life trying to fix it. Like, did you know anyone around your age that got cancer or something like that? Not cancer, but I do know people who got into some kind of accident and became handicapped. Accidents, man. That is, that's something that scares me where you could hypothetically be doing something right. But if some idiot is for some reason driving on the wrong side of the road, then they could take your life just due to their negligence. How often are car accidents happening over there? 
A lot. I think most well, guys' roads happened. are all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> no one, no one listens to the the turn signals or anything like that. It's like every man See, is for it's, themselves. It's one thing I envy about your country. It has so much better traffic laws and people actually follow them. Right. So in your country, Arman, tell me, when you cross the road, do you look on both sides? I look at both sides because my dad conditioned me to do that as a little kid. He would just hammer it home. Hey, look at both sides because you never know. And nowadays it's it's muscle memory for me. But a lot of folks, man, over here, they are so freaking nonchalant on the road. They will literally walk when they see another car driving towards them. And this walker is like, you're not going to hit me. I dare you. And they just walk in a very smooth way. I mean, here, the drivers are very obedient to the walkers. The walkers, a lot of them, you could see their character on how they walk on the streets. Because, see, this is one thing I've noticed. I noticed high-integrity people, when they see a lot of cars driving and stuff, they and the cars stop to let the walker go through. The walker will do a little jog if they're a high-character person because they understand that others are waiting on them. Hello? Mm-hmm. I'm here. I'm here. Okay, my screen shut off for some reason. But low-integrity people, they see all these people waiting on them, and they're taking their sweet-ass time on the phone, dragging their feet. I'm like, you are such a scumbag, bro. You know that none of the drivers can go because you're on the road right now. And rather than being mindful of everyone's time, you're just being mindful of your time. So I judge people for that, how they walk on the road when others are waiting on them. That's interesting. I have a question. Have you ever mm-hmm. crossed a road with running traffic? Nah, man. See, that's that's not something brown people do. Brown people are very risk adverse with stuff like that. Man, speak for the brown people in your country because... Oh, yeah, here... yeah for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I would not yeah. do that, bro. No one waits for the traffic to stop. Every single person crosses the road in running traffic. Did you ever see someone get hit before? I have seen a person dead in, on these highways, yes. You've seen Probably a dead person was... on the highways? Yeah, completely bashed in. His wife and kids waiting. You know, not not the guy who's dead, but the guy who crashed into him. Hit the that guy's wife and kids in the car, and the guy who crashed into him obviously he has run away. I've seen a lot He's, of accidents. Yes, like you know, my dad. I remember him pulling out a bunch of dead people from a car and things like that. What? So the guy that ran away, what's the likelihood of him actually getting caught? Hundred percent. So the way it works is that let's say that you crash into somebody, mm-hmm. they're gonna find you for sure. They're not stupid. But if you just stay at the scene, eventually the person who's died, his family is going to show up and they're going to be in very high passions. You have no idea what they will do. Maybe they will kill you. Maybe they're going to beat the crap out of you. So the safe thing to do is to park your car on the side so that they know that this is the car that crashed into the sky. Then you run away. You make your way back to wherever you live. You hire a lawyer and you turn yourself into the police for protection. So that you don't get killed by the family of the guy you have, you know, accidentally hit. Okay, so what you're describing here will get you sentenced to prison because that's called a hit and run. Um, if you just hit someone's bumper and that's it, that's whatever. But if the if you're involved in an accident and you flee the scene, then you may actually go to prison. 
almost no one goes to prison here for vehicle accidents. So the vehicle act in India is extremely lax. It has a lot of loopholes, and you, it's very hard to get someone in prison over this type of stuff. Very, very hard. Do you guys have cameras on the streetlights? We have them sometimes. People don't like them. Some mm-hmm. streets have them, and they fine you if you are too fast. Mm-hmm. But then not they mail you a ticket. <laughs> no, they don't mail you a ticket. India is more technologically advanced than that. You just get an SMS saying that you know you've been fined, and click this link to pay your tax. Okay, I get mailed the ticket. I'm like, no, 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 it wasn't me, guys. And then there's a link where they'll send you the video of you committing the crime as well. Hey, at least you got a video. Do you own the copyright of that video? An expensive <laughs> <no> video. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My mom hit me up one time. She's like, it's saying that you didn't stop at the stop sign. I'm like, me? Of course I stopped at the stop sign. And then she sends me the link to the video. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> so what exactly is a stop sign in your country? I don't get it. Why would you stop? Why is the stop sign there? The reason the stop sign is there is because when you're about to drive, there's typically another car that's coming from the other side, perpendicular to you. So if you're just driving straight and the other guy's driving straight, then you guys will crash. So you're supposed to stop at the stop sign to make sure that there's no other incoming traffic. Interesting. Yeah, we don't have the system. We just have signals. And when the signal turns red, you're supposed to stop. When it's yellow, you know, it's like a waiting period. Be careful. And when it's green, you can go. Oh, yeah. Th- those are the street lights. But we have... That's what we call street lights, but we have a separate thing called stop signs. And these are just a flat metal board that just tells you to stop. Now, the thing is, a lot of people run the stop signs. They're like, man, no one's around me. I'm good. But every now and then, there's an undercover cop that's lurking around the corners. And if you run the stop sign, you could get a $200 ticket or so. Man, this poor cop, his entire job is about to be completely automated soon. Mm-hmm. Very soon. That's not all he does. Uh, that's what they do typically when there's not much action going on. There's a lot of undercover cops here nowadays, man. You guys have that? Undercover cops? No. They drive in a regular car and you think, uh, you think you're off the hook when you're speeding. And then this regular looking Honda Civic or whatever, Dodge Charger, starts firing up the police lights. You're thinking, damn it, got caught. No, so they don't do that here. They're not trying to get people caught in a way. They're just trying to... The police here is actually just trying to reduce crime and things like that. So if there is police, they're going to be fully dressed up in the police uniform and make sure everybody can see them so that you actually follow the law. Mm, That makes sense. We don't have this whole stop sign stuff, though. We just have signals. And if they want you to stop somewhere, the signal will be red. So if there's a perpendicular pace, you know, like a perpendicular road intersection... Mm -hmm. One side is going to be red and the other side is going to be green. So the crash cannot happen, assuming but, both sides follow the signal. Oh, yeah, bro. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about, but those are for the big roads. What about for residential roads? For residential roads, there are no stop signs, like the small lanes, right? Right. Yeah, there are no stop signs. You just drive slowly. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we have also another one that says drive slow, uh, kids walking around the corner there's all these different ones and you need to be somewhat astute of it when you're doing your driver's exam did you have to what age did you take your driver's exam i think when i was 18 18 what's the, the driver's exam it? was a total joke here the only thing i did was i sat in the car 
Mm-hmm. The car was already on. I had to accelerate like 10 feet, then reverse 10 feet, and I got my license. That's it. So the way it works is that you are supposed to hire a driving school, which is a private organization. Mm-hmm. And what these driving school people do is that they bribe the people who are issuing these licenses. So they bribe the office that is supposed to issue the licenses. And if you are a student of those driving schools, you are tested separately, basically. And the test basically doesn't exist. If you want a license to drive a scooter, all you will have to do is sit on a scooter, turn it on, turn it off, and they would give you the license. But what if you can't actually drive it? It doesn't matter. You will still get the license. The heck? I would be expecting a car crash every other week or every other hour for you guys then. There are a lot of car crashes in India, but it's not because of this license thing. I mean, it is some of it is happening because idiots are being given licenses that don't know how to drive. Right. But the majority of license drive accidents happen because of trucks and drunk drivers and no amount of licenses is going to help with that. Trucks simply because they work long hours where they're on the road for so long that it's not very difficult to contemplate them falling asleep. Right. And you know, the truck people I've asked them, you know, I've spoken to many of them and the reason they have more accidents is that the way their incentive system works is that let's say that you have to say send a truck from place A to place B. The guy who is actually sending the delivery, the load will tell the truck guy that if you make the distance between say three hours, then I'll pay you 20% more. If you make it between five in five hours and I'll you know pay you the normal fee. If you are delayed by say two hours, say you make it in seven hours and I'll pay you 10% less. So the truck guy is incentivized to be fast. Speed. And, right. And to speed, yes. But and if they're long drives, bound to happen. They are long drives. Then, are they drinking in the drive? Oh yeah, most of them are drunk at night. Not, more, I mean, a significant amount of them. I've been crashed into by a truck. It's not pleasant. Man, that's terrifying. A, a, a truck driving drunk. Yeah, and a drunk driver. He crashed into us, and I was like, "Whoa, okay." How are you alive? How am I alive? Exactly. And I had no injuries whatsoever. <laughs> Squats, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit shaken up, but I just walked it off. Nothing happened. My neck hurt for like two, three days, though. I don't know why. Was your car destroyed? It was not my car, thankfully. <laughs> or the car that you were in was it destroyed? Well, the backside of it was completely dented in. And I'd be so pissed. I mean, I'd be grateful that I'm alive, but I'd be so pissed at this idiot for driving drunk in a truck. It's what you expect from trucks. So the best thing you can do is to stay away from them. I wonder how many. At least here, uh, because a lot of the truck drivers they don't drink alcohol and drive, but what they do a lot is they listen to audiobooks. So I wonder if there was, no... <laughs> I wonder if there was no such thing You're as following LMM. <laughs> I wonder if there was no such thing as audiobooks. How many drunk driving with truck drivers we'd have over here? Because they'd be bored. I mean, what do you do the entire time? Man, driving a truck would be incredibly boring unless you're driving new routes all the time. Hmm. Could you do it though? Just driving a truck. Driving a truck for say, be a trucker for three months. Just drive and nothing else. I could probably do it just because I like driving. I could do it too because I like driving, but I do think that after a while I'm going to be like, what am I doing with my life? 
Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're talking about it in terms of ambition-wise, I don't know if I could do it forever. But if I'm just doing it for three months just to drive, I view that as a mini vacation. Are you someone that likes to drive though? Because I, I believe your question is very indicative of that. I like driving, but I have a small issue with it. Mm. So I like driving when I'm out of the city and I'm going mm-hmm. somewhere interesting, but I do not like driving in traffic. I think of driving in traffic as the biggest waste of time ever. And I would rather have a guy drive me and I can do what I want in the backseat. You're preaching to the car, bro. I hate that. I hate it when you're just barely clicking the accelerator and you're sort of moving up. The type of driving I'm mentioning is when there's this beautiful bridge, there's water on both sides of you and you're just driving, I love that. Stuff, yes. That's that's a vibe right there. That's a shit. That's a shit. <laughs> yeah. Is that the view that a lot of these truck drivers are getting or are they just agitated because they're barely pressing the accelerator? Most of them are driving on highways, so they're going fast. But mm-hmm. a lot of them are actually driving at night, so they can't really see anything. Oh, okay. Plus, most of them drive the same route over and over again. So it's not it's not a vacation for them, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like getting to eat cake. It's fun once, twice, thrice. But if you have to eat cake every single day, day and night, you're going to be sick of that cake. Like, fuck cake. Right. And if you don't eat Give cake, the you're rice. fired. <laughs> yeah, if you don't eat cake, you're fired. <laughs> I don't know about for you, but whenever I see big cars on the road, I expect them to not speed. And let's say I'm driving a Honda Civic and I'm driving, I'm driving, let's say 10 miles over the speed limit. And I see a big car driving 15 miles over the speed limit. Something about a big car driving faster than a little car bugs me. Uh, I feel as though big cars are, it's weird to explain it out loud. I feel like they're a little bit dumber, right? I'm not talking about the driver. I just feel like a big car is dumber. Therefore, it should be slower than a little car. Do you ever have that moment where you see a big car driving faster than you? You're like, what the hell is going on here, man? Absolutely. So big cars <laughs> are much less maneuverable, right? Right. But I get their perspective. Let's say someone is driving a bus. Well, if mm-hmm. he crashes the bus, what's going to happen? The car he crashes into is going to get fucked, but nothing is going to happen to him. So he can be much more bold with his bus. But when you're driving a car, like if I crash into something, I'm going to die. So let me drive more cautiously. The guy driving the bus has far less to lose. So he can be far more bold. Mm -hmm. Did you have school buses growing up? Yes. Did you, where'd you sit in the bus? Man, I don't even remember. Wherever there was place, I think. Okay, no, no, no. I, I was wondering if the, the bus was segmented into the cool kids sitting in the back. I think so, but it just depends on... I don't remember. It's been so long. What have I, You said you, you sat in the front, right? Yeah, I used to sit in the front because over here, if you're a dork, you sit in the front, which I wasn't too aware of when I first moved here. Um, oh, man. Do not but, tell this to the driver. Yeah, but <laughs> the middle, you're somewhat cool. And in the back, you're cool, cool. So some people would get a reality check once they got in the bus. They would think that they were cool, cool. They try to sit in the back and they'd be greeted with uh, mean faces like, what are you doing over here? You're not one of us. And then they'd be sent to the middle of the bus. So you'd understand your hierarchy on how cool you were in the bus. Hey, between you and me, the best place to sit in the bus is somewhere around the front. And I'll tell you why. 
Mm-hmm. Have you ever done any night journeys in a bus, like a long distance journey, sixteen, twenty, twenty-four hours? Not in a bus, no. I have, and the way it works is that you just have to sit in the bus, and the bus is gonna go to the destination. But with these bus drivers, they drive really fast. Think like eighty kmph on a bumpy road, and every time there's a speed breaker. they're not going to stop for the speed breaker they're just going to eat it they're going to drive through the speed breaker and the whole bus <laughs> is going to bump they hit their foreheads on the front of the seat no what happens is that if you are sitting behind they feel the bump the strongest you actually get up off your seat like half a feet and then fall back down oh yeah and your stomach begins shaking right Yeah, but after a while, you're like, "Boom! I can't sleep at all because I'm just bouncing on my seat all the time." Mm-hmm. Because this guy, this guy driving the bus, he is not stopping for a single speed breaker. He's just eating every single one of them simply because he can. And for some reason, when you're sitting somewhere around the front or the middle, you don't feel the speed breakers, but towards the end, you do. I see. So, you're basically saying back of the bus is the worst place to sit. It's the worst place to sit in a in a fast moving bus. You can't get any sleep. It just like boom, 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 boom. It keeps bouncing you around left and right. Right, and even in the fifties and sixties, it was seen as a racial thing. Where if you were black, you were told to sit in the back of the bus. I see. They were the cool kids, huh? Hmm. Back then, it wasn't the cool kids, though. <laughs> <laughs> Man, what's going on with black people nowadays? I see more and more Twitter posts about them. What type of posts are you seeing? Just like so I, I saw a post with a black guy, and he like basically pushes two toddlers on the ground and takes their wallet and goes off. Like, what the fuck? What the heck? I mean, but this is Twitter, so obviously this is not the normal case. But... Right, right. You're definitely going to see. The worst of all people on Twitter, uh, the, the black folks I meet here, man. I mean, they're it's so multicultural here nowadays, where you see all kinds of African Americans, black folks, Haitians, and I mean, a lot of them are just normal people, man. They're just hardworking guys. They're starting their own businesses. They're dressed tip top. They know how to dance. All of that. Every now and then, you have the bad apples, the ones that are causing trouble for no reason. It's like that with most groups out there. I feel as though with the internet, black folks get it very tough because that type of content goes viral a lot. A lot, like that's the only content I see about black folks lately. I'm like, wait a minute, what are you guys doing? Right. And then I have to remind myself, wait a minute, this is Twitter. I'm only seeing the exceptions. Yeah, man. I recall a while back you mentioned how shows like Friends and How I Meet Your Mother fuck up your mental models. I believe nowadays. A strong argument can be made that Twitter is fucking up a lot of people's mental models. Where these kids, without any form of experience, they're trying to say that they're high value men and stuff like that, just because they read it on Twitter. I'm like, bro, you're 14 years old. What the hell do you know about <laughs> anything like that? And this is not them putting on a charade or anything. It's just they read it consistently. They're exposed to it, and now that's who they're becoming. I would say if they're actually imitating the traits of a high value man, it's probably for the best. But they're not the good ones. They're 
doing the caricature. You know how a lot of these guys that they, they just the whole Lambo them, thing, right? Lambo, yeah. Lambo, Lambo. I have a the, Bugatti. Yeah, I get that. That's bullshit. Yeah, I mean, it would be one thing if they're going to the gym, they're showing discipline. That's one thing. A lot of these guys aren't doing that. They're just acting like cartoon characters. They're actually acting like wrestling entertainers in real life, not understanding that's how they're acting. Hey, as long as it's entertaining, I don't care. <laughs> I thought they would be clowns for you, man. Well, see, the thing is that there's going to be all sorts of people and especially online, you're going to find a lot of people just posing and pretending to be things they are not. And I mean, someone who's like that, they can't actually say if they had to get on a podcast and free speak like this, they can't do that. It's very hard to speak without any experience, without stuttering and without having to make up stuff. You can tell when someone is making up stuff. So it's not like people are not aware that these guys are morons, but my point is that even if these guys are complete idiots, at the very least, even if they're copy-pasting stuff from other people, they're still spreading something better than you know what mainstream media is spreading. That is, you become LGBT, blah, 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 gay pride month, etc. Oh, yeah, dude. It's one thing if they're creating content. I'm saying that that's how they live in real life, which is somewhat weird to me. Um, have you seen someone like that? I have not. I have, man. I mean, I went to the mall recently, which nowadays people don't do too much. Do you go to the mall? Sometimes when I have nothing else to do and I need to eat something and I really don't want to cook and the cook is not at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before the mall was the cool place to go. And I went there recently to get a cell phone case. And as I'm walking, I'm saying, dang, man, this is a ghost town. No one really goes to malls like that anymore. And I see a bunch of these crews of guys hanging out they're at least 14 to 16 years old and just immediately when you look at them just the way that they're acting like the classes and inside uh, the mall and all of that something about them just gave me a weird vibe and i could tell that they have been consuming a lot of content online on this is how you're supposed to act if you're a cool guy and now they're taking those learned mannerisms and they're going offline with it Hey, I think that's all 16-year-olds ever since the beginning of time. Yeah, I saw 25-year-olds and such like that. Um, It's not a big deal. I mean, you're actually right. We do imitate a lot of the stuff that we consume. But I I did notice that as of late. See, it's like this. People need to look up to something or someone. And earlier you would get the people you look up to from your religion. So you might look up to, say, Muhammad in your case. A Christian guy might look up to Jesus or whoever he follows. I think some of them follow the Pope or whatever. You know, they look up to some Christian figure. Mm -hmm. Hindus have their gods to look up to. And other religions probably have other stuff to look up to. And that is the model you would follow. But now, as people are becoming irreligious, they don't care enough about religion. They still look up to somebody. They have to get their values from somewhere. The vast majority of people lack the critical thinking, the intelligence, the experience to come up with their own values. So where do they get them from? Well, they get them from TV, the internet, TikTok, Twitter, wherever else, social Mm -hmm. media, friends, sitcoms. The way you say friends is so funny to me. (laughs) It's like (laughs) that that tone of disgust when you say it. (laughs) Contempt. (laughs) You're actually 1000% right. And I I, I think I'm coming off as a, 
the old man judging the new generation, you're 1000% right. Because now that you brought it up, when I was 15 to 16, the guys for me were those shows, pickup artists, peacocking. <laughs> Actually, I just thought of that. And we'd go to the mall and we'd try out what mystery taught us in the mall. So I guess it's just a new generation finding different forms of inspiration. I am shocked though that more people don't go to the malls as before. It's literally a ghost town, the one that I went in. I'm pretty sure that's not the case for you guys. Not yet, but I could no, see man, it being the case. Malls are extremely crowded. So recently I was out trekking and mm-hmm. on our way back, I stopped at the mall to change, to eat something and you know to get some water and replenish. Mm-hmm. And it was so crowded. It was completely crazy. So malls here are really full, very crowded. And they make a lot of money. Some malls go bankrupt, though. I think I went to one of the bankrupt ones. I actually do need to check out more malls to see if that's what the trend is or if I just went to a dead mall. The way these mall works, mall system works, I've studied it a bit. And you can't just make a mall and sell property there. If you do Mm. that, the mall is going to fail. The mall has to work as an integrated unit where things are placed in such a way and have different types of stores so that it attracts people. Right. So the the common trend you will find among failed malls is that the guy makes the mall, he then sells the shops in the mall or he just rents them out and lets people open whatever the hell they want in any shop they want. So you might open one thing, the other guy might open one thing, the one guy might open like a clothes shop, one guy might open a sewing store, etc., etc. And that mall is definitely going to fail for sure. The malls that succeed are actually very well planned. So there's like a shop for shoes, one for clothes. Then there are there's an entire place for eateries. So an entire floor dedicated to food, which is supposed to attract the people. Mm-hmm. The food court is supposed to attract crowds to the mall because people come for the McDonald's or what have you. They bring their kids. Right next to the food court, there has to be some kind of clothes shop. So there's a clothes shop there. Then there has to be a shop for electronics. So you want to have a wide variety of items and you want to place the food shops what's the word for it, strategically, mm-hmm. so that people are incentivized to come to the mall. It's usually at the top floor for a reason. So you have to go through the entire mall to get to the food shops. How many floors are you guys' malls? Three, four, depends on the mall. Okay. Can you haggle? You can haggle not in the mall, but in most shops you can haggle not in the mall. In these malls, you usually have printed prices and electronic billing where, where you can't haggle. With clothes, though, you can, right? Not in the mall. You can haggle right. outside. In the, in these normal small shops, you can haggle, but not in the mall. Malls okay. usually sell branded items by the company. The company is selling it, so they don't have a haggling policy. They will not you know, negotiate with you. Are they the real brands, though, or are they bootleg? They're the real brands, yes. Okay. That's one reason to go to a mall where you are more likely to find the real stuff. Got it. Yeah, no, I went to a mall in Bangladesh a long time ago, Bushundara Mall. I went with my Fupi bro, and she was she was the master negotiator. She's like, bye, bye. And she was getting so much money shaved off, and we were buying so many shirts. I'm like, man, the malls overseas are so informal, and I love that. Where here, it's impossible to haggle even a penny. Same here for the malls, you can't haggle. It depends on the type of shop you are in. It really depends. Mm -hmm. You can always tell which shop you can haggle at and which you can't. 
Gotcha. You need to be a local to do that, but you can instantly tell this is a shop I can haggle. This is a shop where I can't. But the places where you can't haggle, the prices are. Well, the guy who has made the shop, he knows you're gonna haggle, so he's raised the price so that he can accommodate haggling. So something he wants to sell for a hundred bucks, will be listed at two hundred bucks, and then you will be allowed to haggle a hundred bucks. You just pay the price that you would have initially have paid. Man, that that's a smart move. Yeah, I would actually recommend you something. If you ever start a consulting business, and this is coming from real life experience, mm-hmm. if you are selling to Indians, Indians love getting deals. They love getting a negotiated price. Right. So if you want to sell your time for say a hundred dollars an hour, you'd be stupid if you quoted a hundred dollars an hour because the guy is going to try to negotiate you down a bit. And if you don't negotiate, he's going to be very unhappy and probably not sign up. On the other hand, if you see, if you charge a hundred fifty and then you negotiate down to a hundred, <laughs> the guy's gonna be really happy. Hey, wow, I negotiated I can't it down. It. Right, I'm getting this great deal. Yeah, he's gonna be really happy, and you're gonna get what you want. So, sometimes the Something... guy can afford it, and they'll say, "Can you charge two hundred? And if you quickly say, "Yep, let's do it," they'll think, "Oh man, I should have went for one fifty. I should have went one fifty. Yes, exactly." <laughs> <laughs> so if you get offered a price, try to charge like slightly more, just so that he's happy. He doesn't feel like, oh, wait, I think I'm overpaying now. Right. Did you ever have that period where you worked with people that were broke, like college students, uh, people that are failing entrepreneurs and stuff? What do you mean by worked with? Uh, consulting. Uh, did you ever consult them for any service? No. You well, good. I think some of them were not very rich, but no one was flat out broke. See, if you're broke, you don't have to pay taxes and you don't have legal issues. So why would you come to me? Not not broke, but not not doing well for themselves. Enough to complain about what you're charging them. So my policy has always been that if you can't afford it, find someone else. Good. I, I like that. Because there was a certain period I was working with I was trying to get a feel for what pain points are in communication. And I was working with, I want to say college kids, but um, master students and such. And they don't have money like that. Uh, Entrepreneurs that are one to two years in, they don't have money like that. And the whole point in trying to sell them is such a hassle where you actually have to try to sell them. But when I switched to, let's say, CEOs or manager, managerial directors and stuff, they're so eager to pay. They're like, well, how, how do I send the money over to you? And it's just night and day difference. I'm thinking, why would I ever work with these broke guys again? Let me just work with the people that want to pay and they're more willing to learn too. Not only are they willing to pay, but they actually apply the information. See, I'm going to give you some real life advice, Arman. Mm-hmm. Never work with people who don't have money because they act like the money they're paying you is the last money they ever have. And you're supposed to save them, their entire family and make sure they never have any trouble because they paid you that money. Right. That's what they actually act like. And they don't understand the concept of value. So if they pay something like 20 bucks and they give them like 50 bucks in value, they're going to be like, I got scammed. I should have gotten like $300 in value. I want more. I want more. They're never happy. Mm-hmm. And they don't understand the value of things. In the sense that, let's say that you teach them something like, let's say that they pay to improve their social skills. And then you tell them the basic advice that they need. Like you need to talk less, you need to listen more, things like that. The simple things to improve your social skills. 
Right. They're going to say, I could have read that on the internet. Why am I paying you? Like, dude, I gave you the thing you needed. And this is what you need to do. If you could read, have read that on the net, should have done it. Why did you come to me? So they don't understand the concept of, you know, you will get what you need. Not some kind of random ass secret technique or something. Right, right. You nailed it, man. Where broke folks, they want length. They want a lot of big stuff, big talks, big books, big consulting sessions. Where rich folks, they just want the message. If it could be done in five minutes, five minutes will do. Why are we going to waste our time and such? And they are going to leave satisfied. Or if you give five minutes to a broke dude, they're going to be like, oh man, this guy definitely scammed me. I'm like, bro, how many different ways am I going to tell you to improve your social skills? Dude, you will find this in the ebook market where if you're starting to broke people, right? They care mm-hmm. about the number of pages of the ebook. So I've like, seen if that. you take the 90 day self-improvement program, I sell live intentionally. Mm-hmm. It's like 55, 60 pages and I could make it bigger. You know, as a writer, for me, it's extremely easy to write a 300 page book. I can do that in a week. But why would I waste your time? The entire point of the program is to give you discipline and to give you better habits and to tell you how to do that. It's a step-by-step process that actually works. Mm-hmm. Now, so every once in a while, this happens like once a month, someone's going to reach out to me and say like, I paid $20 for this program. That means you charged me about 50 cents a page. And that's not enough. I want more pages. Like You should make it longer. Loser's mindset. What can I tell you, dude? This is going to solve the problem that you have. It's going to make you more disciplined. You're going to start waking up earlier. You're going to be fitter. You're going to lose fat and your habits will be better. The book is going to deliver to you what you have prom- what has been promised to you. And here you are complaining that the book is not long. How will that make it better? <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever, ever have that moment when someone DM'd you and said, convince me why I should buy the book? Oh, yeah. They get blocked. Do they? Okay. Because I know some people that actually waste their time trying to convince them. I never convince them, man. I'm like, bro, if you need it, buy it. If you don't, don't. Simple. Have you ever told someone to not buy a book? Because I've done that a lot of times. I have. Yep. What made you do it? They, they just so they the book. typically ask questions like, that's on the sales page. They will ask questions that have been addressed on the sales page in clear, bold format. So is this a PDF or uh, in a physical book? Mm-hmm. Dude, the sales page says PDF literally in bold characters three times. You haven't read, you haven't done the work. You haven't even read the page and you're asking questions which have been addressed. It's, it's a simple thing to do, right? You can just control F PDF and find it. Sometimes they'll ask questions like, you know, am I guaranteed to make a hundred dollars a month with this guy? There are no guarantees in life. You could make 110, you could make 90. You could make like a thousand bucks a day. I mean, there are no guarantees. Like, can you guarantee me this? Like, do, do not buy the guide. You, <laughs> you sound like the customer I really want to avoid. Right. Who, who isn't going to put in the work and it's going to be like the guarantee didn't work. And then they're going to badmouth you. And it, they're just a hassle. It's actually better not to work with them. I call that blood bunny. And I will typically not, I will ask you not to buy my guide if you like ask for a discount. If you were a student or something and then you ask for a discount, I will typically give you the discount. Mm-hmm. But if you're like a guy, you're like, I don't want to pay f- this much for this. Can you give it to me for this? No, I cannot. 
Discounts are tough because if you give too many discounts, now it becomes one of those, your business becomes too subjective where eventually you're going to have to be like, I gave that guy a discount. Does this guy deserve it too? Nah. Or does he? Nah. And it becomes too subjective. I'm like, bro, if you can't afford it, then look somewhere else. There's no shortage of content out there. It's actually really funny. So with the art of Twitter, I raise the price every time I do an update because the guide obviously becomes more valuable. Mm-hmm. And what happens is every time I raise the price, someone is going to reach out to me and be like, hey, can I get it at the old price? Like, no, the the old price had been live for like six, seven months. And if you wanted it, wanted it at the old price, you could have gotten it at the old price. Now we have a new price. If you want it, you can get it at this price or don't get it. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, these guys don't value your work and they don't, they're not going to do anything with the guide. They're just morons because someone who wants to start a business, are they going to be like, this guide costs 90 bucks and this is 200 bucks. And the 110 bucks are so important to me that I'm not going to start a business today. Of course not. If you want to start a business, you would buy a guide at 200, 300, 400, whatever. Assuming it works, you can see the reviews, whatever, and you would get it and you would earn your money back soon. It's only people who would like to waste their time who haven't made the decision to actually start a business and they're just jacking off and doing nothing. Mental they're the ones, yeah, the whole mental masturbation crowd. They're like waiting to see what will happen and checking the price every three days. And then suddenly it goes up and now they have the FOMO thing. Hey, I should have gotten at the old price. Let me message the guy. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are becoming aware of these types of customers where in 2019, if you were one of those exposed accounts, uh, you were blowing up. Nowadays, a lot of these exposed accounts aren't as hot in 2023 because a lot of the audience members are like, wait a minute, the people that you're exposing, are they really scams or did the people that buy from them didn't put in the work? Because nowadays, there's a lot of these archetypes of customers that we see that don't put in the work. They just whine and throw a hissy fit without putting in the hours. I've been noticing that. With I agree. Have you had that type of customer though? Someone who gets a product and complains to you? My social skills didn't improve by a book. <laughs> Luckily, not yet. I haven't had moments like that. The main problem I've had was with bootlegging, but I haven't had a point where someone vehemently hit me up and said, this didn't work for me. Um, thank God. I, I don't know why that's happened to me. I'm pretty sure it will happen in the future, but it hasn't happened to me yet. And I think also because I never try to do any pressure sales tactics. It's completely permission-based marketing where if you want it, you can use your own will to decide to get it. I'm not going to actively try to sell you or anything like that. So I think a lot of these guys, due to them selling themselves on the content, uh, will put in the work. And I actually, I'm just thinking of a theory, but I haven't had a moment like that. I have had weird clients, though, uh, with consulting, where none of them were aggressive or anything. But uh, every now and then, like um, the broke guys, they'll say that they'll show up on Sunday, 3 p.m., and then they just don't show up. I'm like, bro, no update or anything like that. Once that happens two to four times, I'm like, all right, bro, I got to rethink my strategy. Uh, The best type of people to work with are people in 40s to 60s, preferably introverted. And I'm talking about with my clientele, introverted and from overseas. For some reason, these folks resonate a lot with me because I look like one of them. Um, and they are beautiful to work with. They show up on time. They apply everything. I like that group. 
in case someone doesn't show up do you still charge for the session so man here's the thing i'm giving you insights from 2019 where i didn't really ever have experience with consulting so i was learning on the fly back then if they didn't show up in 10 minutes i should have charged but i didn't i i just didn't want to build i gave them the benefit of the doubt i'm like oh, maybe he got in a car accident or something like that but in hindsight i'm like bro if you don't show up i'm still going to charge you yeah of course you should charge them because you know yeah. your time got wasted you could have scheduled another client or something else in that time yeah yeah cuz with consulting man there's no book on this is exactly what you do so a lot of it you're learning on the fly especially when you're building your own practice in the beginning stages so i learned i have some battle scars tell me more things you've learned from consulting yeah so to answer your question i think one of the most important things to understand with consulting is to know if you're actually consulting or if you're coaching coaching is when your customer is looking for inspiration while with consulting your customer is looking for answers so just to give you an example let's say harsh you live in the us okay and your wife lives in canada and you want to understand the process of how to bring your wife from canada to us in a situation like this you don't need no damn inspiration you just need the answers so you hit up a consultant and you get the answers for what the whole visa process is like that's the consultant path where with coaching let's say you have a speech coming up and your coach just says here's how you build a speech and you call it that that's not enough for this guy who is hitting you up because he's terrified to give a speech in front of 500 people now you got to amp him up you see do you see the difference first of all yes and now so you really got to understand the business that you're in because coaching in itself it's not just something you could do as a side gig it often consumes you because it becomes a career while with consulting it's something that you could easily do and it helps if you have a pre-existing rapport with the person so that's one of the things i learned you got to really understand if you're a consultant or if you're a coach interesting yeah i can see in your line of consulting how that can be confusing for the consulting that i used to do it was mostly legal tax consulting so for me it was always pure consulting it was no coaching right where it got to a point where at so- sometimes i was coaching and that wasn't really something that i liked to do where with consulting i liked it where let's say there's a guy in tampa he's a realtor and he wants to understand how to write a book how to take it from manuscript to market he'll book a consulting with me and i'll literally outline the entire process for him that is where he's just looking for answers he's not like come on man you could do it you could write this book he's just like i just want the answers bro so you could do a little bit of both for the type of business that you're in as well i agree i do think that coaching is a longer term process than consulting consulting mm-hmm. is you know you need the information for some time and you know the guy is going to leave after that coaching is more longer term i know some people on twitter who do nutrition coaching where they teach people how to eat correctly and that pays really well and has a lot of good results for the customer where a guy might actually be obese and have metabolic disorder diabetes etc mm-hmm. and you can show him how to eat such that all of that can be fixed right one good thing well the pro and cons of the whole coaching/consulting the con is that it takes your time up right you're t- trading in time for money 
But the pro is that you're always being introduced to new problems that your market is facing. So if you're some sort of content creator, you never run out of ideas because you just keep consistently getting new problems to solve. And it serves as this little flywheel for you in the long term. I agree. Actually, this is something that a lot of people don't realize, but a very easy way of getting content ideas is to either coach people or to ask AMAs, you know, ask me anything or, and to leave your DMs open. So people can ask you questions, what's bothering them, what they would like answered. And that gives you ideas on what to produce. Right. In fact, that's kind of where Live Intentionally was born. People were, people kept asking me, you know, I have this bad habit. I can't seem to drop it. What do I do? What do I do? Mm-hmm. And I was so tired of answering them that I'm like, wait a minute, let me just make an ebook and you guys can pay for the ebook, download it, and that will be your solution. Right. The answer was just presented to you. The answer was presented to you. And now whenever asks me something about, you know, I can't fix this habit, I just send them to the ebook. Man, that's smart. Do you still have any form of coaching consulting for Life Math Money Brand? I have never done any form of coaching or consulting for the Life Math Money Brand ever, not even once. Never accepted a single penny in consulting. Would you if someone said, I'll give you $10,000 for an hour of your time? Probably not. (laughs) As a matter of principle, I do not accept money for my time. I don't want to sell my time. Gotcha. So it's a matter of principle. I might just consult you for free. You know, if you offer like a huge sum, I'm like, wait a minute, you need it a lot. I'll just like, fine, get on a call. But... I doubt I would sell my time. I, I might, you know, who knows if the offer is presented, that's when you find out. And right. personally, if I'm like actually giving you the call, I might as well take the money. So I'm not against it. I'm not against taking money, mm-hmm. but it could probably be a one-time thing or something. I, it would not be something like, Hey, I'm a consultant. You can reach out to me and, you know, get coaching or whatever. Right. You're I might do it in the future, but I, I would be surprised Personally, I think it's like a sin to sell your time. So, so I used, that think that, I used to think that too. But nowadays, my viewpoint on that has evolved just a little bit towards a different direction. I think it's a sin to sell your time if you hate it. But I think if there's some sort of joy that it's attracting you to that, then I think that's fine. So with one of the guys that I'm consulting, he routinely uh, wants to you know re-up the packages. And me and him have this chemistry. It's very fun talking to him. He's, let's say, 48 years old. He's a CEO of his own company. So I'm learning a lot. He's learning from me. And it's a synergistic relationship. So this is one of those things where there's a pull for me to do it. Even these episodes, we're not getting paid or anything. But this is um, a fun thing to do. But if I'm even saying, let's say I have a modicum of disgust towards the other person. And I'm like, man, this guy is just a hassle. He whines a lot. I don't give a damn if he's paying me $50,000 for one hour. I still don't want to work with him. So for me, the emotional aspect is very big when determining, do I sell my time or not? I agree with you there. See, if you're learning something, then, and you can get paid for it, then you should take it. Yeah. For example, if I'm hired as like Amazon wants to hire me to, for whatever reason, and I think, oh, hey, I might learn something about logistics here. And have to sell some of my time. I would be happy to do that if I think the ROI is worth it. What I mean is, what I'm against is, you know, like a pure time for money 
transactional type of business where you're like, anybody can hire me. It costs this much for this much time. I see exactly what you're saying. I mean, for some businesses, like a doctor, which quite frankly, I do not consider to be a real business. It's more like a job in other way. Mm -hmm. It's unavoidable. You, but... you just made a lot of enemies with Bengali and Indian parents. No, it's a doctor. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're 1,000 percent right, though. Yeah, but it's not a it's not a business, right? At the end of the day, you have to be there to provide the service, and if you're not, then the business doesn't exist. Absolutely. Think of it like this: if the entrepreneur does not show up for a week, would things still work? As long as you have the right systems, yep. Or does can it can it work with a doctor? Nope. The surgeon doesn't show up for a week, so it's not a business. Same with lawyers and contractors and stuff. Robert Kiyosaki had that quadrant. E-S-B-I. Employee, self-employed, business, and investor. Doctors and stuff are self-employed, but they're not business. Exactly. But I think that lawyers and some of these professions, it can eventually become a business. Let's say you have more partners or whatever, keep lawyers as employees, just use your brand name and, you know, try to get your firm's brand to develop. So people hire your firm. Mm -hmm. It can become a business, but a guy who's practicing law, it's not a business. Right. You know, I actually know some doctors who have really good and very profitable businesses. The business is diagnostics. So you could go and get an MRI scan done, et cetera. There's a lot of ways to, if you're a hustler, there's a lot of ways to make money as a doctor. Exactly. If you're a doctor, it's very easy to start some kind of medical business. In fact, I can give you guys an idea. You can start a business that's essentially based on measuring body fat accurately. No one's doing that for some stupid reason. No in India. one is. And it's so difficult to find out what your body fat is. It's an so accurate difficult. one. So you could get a DEXA machine and, you know, a proper electrostatus machine and, you know, the whole water estimation thing. I forget what it's called, where they dip you in water mm -hmm. and estimate people's body fat. Nowadays, there are so many people going to the gym that it's going to be a high demand service. Or if they could even build some sort of tool that they could sell forever, something, because that is a pain point for sure. Because sometimes you'll hold one of these these tools. Have you seen it in the gym? Or apparently yeah. they're measuring your body fat. Sometimes it'll show us 20%. Other times it's 14%. Only one day has passed. You're like, wait a minute, man. This shit's not accurate. And then they also have the pinching thing. Have you seen the, the pinching The calipers, thing? yes. I have both of them. Yeah, but is it easy to set up? The calipers are not accurate in any way, simply because they can only measure your skin folds, right? So mm -hmm. at best, they can calculate your, you know, your subcutaneous fat accurately, the fat under your skin. But a lot of people have fat around their organs, the visceral fat, and that can't be calculated by calipers. So all of these systems are just approximations. If you take DEXA, it's mm -hmm. also an approximation. What it's doing is it's shooting x-rays at you. Not exactly x-rays, but, you know, it's shooting some radiation down at you and creating like a two-dimensional map, a picture of your body, but it's two-dimensional. And because it's two-dimensional, it has to make certain assumptions about, okay, this part is supposed to be this dense, this part is supposed to be this dense, etc. And based on that, it's coming up with a body fat percentage. So there is no highly accurate way of determining body fat percentage, but I hope they come up with better ways in the future. Right. 
And there's different types of doctors. Some work in an actual hospital and others start their own practice. One underrated one, I would say is a dentist. Dentist? Yeah, I mean... How much should you pay a dentist for like a I don't know, uh, each individual transaction, but I heard they make a quarter million. They don't have to show up too much. It's pretty much for the big stuff. And other than that, they have their sidekicks doing the work. At least that's what my dentist told me. He said that he doesn't have to show up too much, especially because he set up his own practice. Interesting. So medical in India is fairly cheap. In the US, it pays a lot, but simply because they charge exorbitant prices and the population is forced to pay them and they have to buy medical insurance and things like that. Right. In India, medical is really cheap. So I can go to a doctor, get a cavity filled and everything for like seven, eight dollars. What? That's and cheap. It's gonna be here. filled by the dentist, not by some hygienist or some, you know, idiot. For by the actual dentist. Yeah, here that's gonna cost a lot more. Sometimes, man, being a dentist in itself just seems so yucky. One time I was waiting in the dentist and the lady next to me had the nastiest teeth. I mean, just sitting next to her, I could smell the rot coming out of her mouth. I'm like, damn, man, this dentist is going to have to spend his day dealing with that. So you got to have some sort of tie (laughs) to do the shit. Otherwise, you must know a lot of protocols that makes it less disgusting. Hey, it's the profession he chose, not me. (laughs) (laughs) But I do think that that is a feature in anything that involves dealing with the human body. For example, is a gynecologist's job pleasant? I doubt it. Right. Or someone who has to say, the dermatologist who has to deal with skin infections. Probably not a pleasant job. I heard a CNA has to clean people's shit. Like what he, is they that? Have, it's a position uh, that you have to actually wipe someone's ass. And I'm oh, like, man. bro, that's disgusting, dude. One of my college buddies got a job as a CNA and he's like, let me tell you about my day. I'm like, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> I give them props, man. I really do because I could never be in the medical field. You can't you know, pay me I, to be in the medical field. I heard something very interesting. And this is from Twitter, actually. There was this nurse and she was telling me that earlier, the profession of a nurse was supposed to be something where you really cared for the patient and it was exclusively for women and women would, since they are more caring than men are in general, you know, they would care for the patient really well. They would look after them, make sure that they have everything they needed and the doctors would actually do the surgeries or whatever, okay? That used to be the dynamic. And she says that nowadays the people who are becoming nurses they don't care about the patient at all. They're just doing it as a TikTok thing where they take dancing in the room with TikTok, making fun of the patients, etc. And no one takes care of the patients anymore properly. So earlier, if you were a sick patient in bed rest, you could expect it, you could expect to be taken care of properly. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, you can't expect that unless you have someone watching these nurses, they're not gonna take proper care of you. They might not even wipe your ass correctly. And they consider it to be yucky too. And the nurse is like, you chose this profession. You know what it entails. Mm-hmm. But now you're not willing to do it because you consider it to be a degrading and inferior job. Why did you choose it? 
people are becoming nurses simply because of the status being like hey i'm a nurse i'm a medical professional i'm a doctor right. but they're not actually willing to do the things that a doctor is supposed to do they consider those things to be degrading they want the status but they don't want to put in the work have you ever seen that happen in front of you neglect nurse... by medicals yes mm-hmm. what's your story in regards to that was it someone that you were close to well not someone i was close to but <clears throat> this was back in covid right like you keep hearing of all these people who are going to hospitals but simply not not being treated correctly because there's not enough staff for it so there's mm-hmm. like 100 patients being manned by one doctor because it's a covid time people are claiming to be sick and showing up to the hospital they've been put in the bed and obviously the country cannot come up with they cannot 10x their strength of doctors in a day because a virus showed up so you kept hearing and seeing people not being taken care of correctly and you also had these weird situations where doctors were trying to make some money on the side being like i'm going to take extra care of you if you pay me <laughs> oh, no way oh yeah that happened a lot in fact i had some friends i have some very influential friends and they would have like three doctors live in their house while they had covid mm-hmm. and they were being given you know, oxygen and what have you and they weren't even properly sick it was like a mild cold yeah, it must suck if you're broke then Yeah, it sucks if you're broke. See, everything sucks if you're broke. So don't be broke. Exactly. See, in COVID, I somewhat understand that. But I went to a. I was visiting someone in a, the doctor two years ago, two thousand twenty-one, and I was shocked by how um, pissed off the nurses were. A lot of these nurses, they don't even try to hide it. They're over here rolling their eyes, sighing. If the patient asks them a question, they're yelling at times, and then. Every now and then you get a cool nurse. So the person that I was visiting got a cool nurse. We're thinking, okay, this person uh, is going to be with us, right? They she starts mm-hmm. to deliver all the necessary information. We're like, yes, we're going to be a good until the discharge happens. And then this lady shift is done, and then we get another bitchy nurse. So sometimes you'll resonate with a nurse and uh, they're not going to be with you the entire time. They have to either leave or they get sent to a new patient. So most nurses if you talk to them their number one complaint is poor communication. They're often figuring things out last minute uh, going from one patient to another learning all the new issues and as they're learning all the new issues the patient's family is trying to ask the new nurse the issues. The new nurse doesn't know because she's trying to catch up. The patient's family is yelling at her. So that's the typical day for them. That's why they're so pissed. man i think that this whole medical profession there needs to be much more people in it but Way the more. question is would you ever become a doctor nah man uh, hell no well, first of all i wouldn't just because of the business side of things i, I don't want to trade in my time for money in regards to something that i find disgusting which is seeing blood and all of that stuff i don't want to see that would you if they were paying you 10 million dollars a year i would not pretty much for the same reason firstly i don't want to trade time for money secondly it's just a yucky thing i i don't think i would want to do it and thirdly there's just something about being a doctor no one in my family is in this business and they never pushed you to be a doctor no 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 they pushed me against it like don't get, never become a doctor you have to work all day at odd hours you have no family life 
Your parents are Dude. literally unicorns because <laughs> don't most Indian families try to get them to be doctors, their kids to be doctors? It depends. It depends. But being a doctor is actually very expensive. I could not have become a doctor even if I wanted to. To become a doctor, you have to invest a lot of money in education. And back when I was studying, my family just did not have that type of money. Mm-hmm. I can tell you, right? My family, I'm, I have a background of a farming family. So we couldn't like pay 50, 40 lakhs a year. That's like 100k a year to go to a medical college in India. That's completely crazy. Yeah. Dude, I've seen three guys cut off full contact with their parents. And it somehow relates to the medical field. Long story short, all three of these guys, they don't know each other, but they have one thing in common. Ever since they were little kids, their parents pretty much dictated that they were going to be doctors. And if they don't, they'll be failures. So their entire lives, they're over here trying to be in the medical profession. And you know, a lot of kids, they enter college for the first time. They screw around, they party too much, and now they're behind. And just the journey of being a doctor, if you're even falling one year behind, you have to go to the Caribbean islands, study there. You pretty much have to reorganize your entire life. And by the time these three guys became doctors or were about to, that's when they decided that's not what they wanted to do with their lives. And their overbearing um, parents are still saying, no, you have to be a doctor. Otherwise, we're not going to talk to you. And at this point, these kids have had enough. And they're like, you know what? Screw you, mom and dad. And they just cut off all contact. And I was thinking, damn, man, three times within the medical profession. I wonder if this is happening more around the world. I'm curious, what happened then? Did the parents try to reestablish contact? So the parents tried to, uh, and it got bad, where sometimes they would all be in the same wedding, but the kids would not talk to their parents. It, it was weird. And one of the guys I know, he dropped out to become a video game developer. And the parents were just like, shocked because (laughs) now now he's almost there right he put in 12 years he's almost there but then he's starting to say this is my life mom and dad and they just cut off contact i don't know if there's a reconciliation that already happened or is bound to happen in the future but when you're trying to dictate someone's life too much you have no clue when they're just going to explode of course see it's like this you should never force a kid into a profession ever simply because if they don't like it, then they're going to blame you for it. Right. And then they're going to hate you for it forever. Because before you're actually a doctor, I believe you have to do a thing called rotations. And rotations is when you're starting to get the feel for what your life is eventually going to be like uh, for the next uh, couple of years. And during rotations, a lot of people are like, Ugh, I do not like this at all. I don't want my adult life being like this. And that's when they began rethinking a lot of stuff. Do you think that the entire time it takes to become a doctor is just way too long? I have friends who are 30 30 years old and they're still starting to become some kind of specialist. Like sister, you're 30 years old. (laughs) So it depends which angle you're asking me to answer this from if i'm a if i'm a patient i want my doctor studying as long as, as, long as, as I need it, years, you know? <laughs> but if i'm hypothetically somehow i get pushed into the medical field i don't want it to be that quick see that's the beauty of being an engineer you literally just go to school for four to five years and then you could start working you know the funny thing is that colleges seem to have put that four-year limit on all degrees 
I can point out many degrees which should not be taking four years. There are many degrees which can be done in one year. Something stupid like gender studies. I bet I could study in six months, even mm. though the content is dumb as fuck. I could study it in six months. And something like computer science, it probably might take five years or six years or whatever. The whole four years standardized education thing does not make sense. There are some fields which require more time. They have more depth. They have more information and some things which are total nonsense, which can be done in three months. Right. Isn't that how you learned computer engineering? You just taught yourself? Computer science. Yes. I just taught myself. Although I have two courses left, which I'm going to do. I just don't have time for it right now. I will find time later. Because colleges, they pad up a lot of the classes with the electives because they want to create well-rounded individuals. No, all they I want to. Is, they want to charge money. And yeah, all I hear is that, Yeah, all I hear is that they're trying to take your money, because here's the thing: there, <laughs> there was this one site that was released, um, in the West, which was called HowMuchMyProfessorsMake.com or something like that, and you could find out exactly how much your professors made. And we used to think these professors were broke, but if you're a College of Engineering professor, chances are you got your PhD and everything. These guys were pulling in one hundred fifty to one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars a year. We're thinking, damn man, we didn't know teachers got paid like that. And it was hilarious because one time this guy was, this professor was teaching us, and he's like, "I'm having a very long day," and one of the students were like, "Why are you having a long day? You're making one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars this year plus a bonus of seventeen thousand dollars." The professor's like, "How the hell do you know how much I make?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like personal information <laughs> how the hell do you know and what happens is that this tuition money that you're charging the students it feeds these professors salary most of these professors are actually researchers right a lot of these big companies are pairing with universities for their research and development they outsource the research and development to universities and the tuition of students pay for these research and development labs. That's, so that's fucking what, crazy. Yeah, that's why there's incentive to keep the students in there for a long period of time. So you're paying the research and development, and you're paying these teachers all that money. See, I'll tell you the real reason, and this is just my own analysis, so I could be wrong. But things come down to demand and supply. Mm-hmm. And let's say that a university has 100 seats, for example. And it has a hundred people competing for it. Then the only thing it can charge if it wants to fill all of its seat is the average price or the lower price, right? But now think of it like this. Let's say that the bank is willing to give a loan to all the students for whatever amount they like, and the loan can't be defaulted on. So the bank knows that it's going to get its money back. So it can give the loan to whomever. And the university knows that these guys can take any loan they want. So we might as well charge the maximum price. Let's charge the most expensive, the most egregious price we charge because these guys can get a loan and then mm-hmm. pay for the degree and we can make the most money. So people right. are forced to get the loan and the bank is loaning everybody money simply because they know these guys can't default on the loan. They have to pay it back and they probably will over the course of their lifetime. And that's why these fees are so high. If the loan was made defaultable, let's say you you can default on the loan and you know declare bankruptcy and now you don't have to pay the loan back. The banks will be much more careful in what they are loaning money for and the market mm-hmm. will be much more efficient. 
Something like computer science, where it's highly likely you will get a job and be able to pay the loan back, will be at a much lower interest rate and far more likely that you will get a loan than something like gender studies, where you're probably going to work at a Starbucks and fetch me cold coffee. The interest rates are probably going to be much higher and the likelihood of you being accepted as an applicant for the loan are going to be much lower. So the price of the gender studies degree would fall to reflect that because fewer people will be paying for it. I think Why the high someone prices, would do something like that, the major in gender studies is the dumbest thing I could think of. Continue, sorry. It's because they are 18-year-olds and 18-year-olds don't know what the hell they're doing. They are being guided by the teachers and the teachers are also morons and they're telling the kids that do you have only one life. Study what you want. You can always figure things out later. <laughs> Even though the person giving them advice is a broke teacher. Right. So kids don't know what they're doing. They're being advised by authority figures who don't have anything figured out in their own life. And they're telling these kids to take big loans so that they can follow their dreams, quote unquote. See, see that's the difference between a lot of Desi families and American families, where American families, they literally let their kids choose whatever major that they want. But with Desi families, I mean, even though we're joking, most of them are saying, okay, one kid, you are going to be a doctor one day. The other kid, you're going to be an engineer one day. And now the decision is already made for you, maybe at age six. And now you're just getting to college for that sole reason. See, that is not true, at least not true in India. You're not being forced into things. What happens is that, say, by the time you complete your high school, you have to make a choice on what you're going to choose to do with your life. Now, you have certain choices you can make which are considered respectable, which pay decently. Like, you can become a doctor, an engineer, a CA, some kind of professional okay. degree, mm -hmm. etc. Something like that, you know, that most parents will approve of. Then there's a second grade thing you can do, you know, where you could... Say, you know, I want to become a graduate, et cetera, and, you know, work a regular job. That's going to get your reproaches. Probably not going to be something people are going to approve of. And your family is going to try to talk you into doing those professional degrees I mentioned earlier. And then there will be complete lunatics who will want to become, you know, liberal arts and things like that. They want to take arts. And mm -hmm. those people are morons. And if a family is in their right mind, they would laugh at the kid and be like, no. Do something else with mm -hmm. the exception of, of course, law. Law goes in the professional degree thing. Right. So that's pretty much it, which is a rational approach to take for education. If you want to study, you might as well study something useful. And that's pretty much it, right? Why would you go to college to study history? You can do that by yourself. Oh, yeah, man. What a lot of people do is once they become established in their lives, let's say they're 45, their business is doing well, they have a family and such, then uh, they can pursue curiosities back in college. I recall a lot of people like that, that were at least 45, 50 in my classrooms, and they were coming back when they were working a full-time job to just get a standardized plan to learn about one of their curiosities. That's when you should be majoring in philosophy and stuff like that, if you like it, when you're already established. But when you're in college, the main goal is for you to make yourself look desirable in the job market. That is the only goal of college, not to take tests, exams, pass a bunch of random shit. It's to make yourself desirable in the job market. You know, more and more people are switching to online education, especially in the whole programming and computer science field. 
where mm. you can get pretty much the same education you get at MIT or mo- most of these you know big colleges online by yourself the only right. thing it requires is discipline if you want to become an entrepreneur this is the path you should take you don't need to go to MIT to become an entrepreneur <laughs> yeah. i know a guy that got his mba he spent years getting it and it cost a lot of money and he his main claim to fame nowadays is i have an mba i know businesses so he just goes to different businesses and just analyzes them i'm like bro when are you going to start your business he's like didn't i tell you i have an mba it's again okay for him the mba was the goal it's not leading to anything bigger i'm thinking come on bro you got to <laughs> do something with that mba you know india has a school of business it's called isb yeah and i was seeing a girl from isb and i remember asking her so you have a degree in business and she's like correct and i asked her so what are you, what are you going to do with it she had just graduated back then mm-hmm. and she tells me well i'm going to look for a job why would you look for a job when you have a degree in business right yeah. to make she didn't see it she didn't she didn't understand it she didn't understand it but to make a case for them you can get a job with the mba if your goal is to move up so this guy that i was just roasting he is getting management positions and his mba is allowing him to do that and i could somewhat respect it because he has a family kids and everything i don't and he is very risk adverse so i don't see him using that mba to start a business but if you're going to move up in a pre-established business i think that's fine my my advice is going to be that if you want to start a business do not get an mba first of all it's right. useless second mm-hmm. of all it gets in the way yeah cuz you have to unlearn a lot of things it makes you retarded i remember talking to someone and this guy right first of all he's analyzing my business and he was using complicated words to describe describe simple things it's like what the fuck are you talking about Right. I run this business even I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> and it it's literally crazy how they think of a business, you know. They don't get the whole thing. Like the simple thing of a business is that you offer something that the customer values more than the price they pay. Mm-hmm. And you make sure that you reach the maximum number of customers and you have a good pitch and that's it, right? That's the simple way to describe a business. Right. For them it's more like, you know, the synergistic strategy of this dude. What the Bro, fuck? Let me save a lot of people time right now. A business can be boiled down into three steps: create value, communicate value, capture value. That is all. And some people when they hear that after their MBA, they're like it's like they have a revelation. They're like <laughs> like that's it. That's it, my dude. And now you got to get creative with that. like create value you got to create something that people want communicate value that's marketing capture value that's you getting paid and now it's like all these concepts that they've baked into their brain are starting to explode i'm like good let's keep exploding it man these guys go completely crazy and get stuck in the whole analysis paralysis thing where they're you know doing this analysis that analysis on this business idea dude you why don't you just start a business yeah start it You'll figure you start it, it and you'll figure it out. A remix to this is when some people what's one of the best ways to learn sales? You just do a lot of calls and you do a lot of sales. Eventually that's the strategy that a lot of people do. Like my brother did sales for a long time, that's how he learned. 
Now, let's say you're someone that has been taking these NLP, neuro linguistics programming classes for a long time. You look at what my brother is doing and you'll see stuff that he doesn't even know he's doing. It's like, oh, I see how you did your a tonality inflection point right there. That's what sealed the cell. And my brother's looking at these guys like, what the hell? You guys know too much for your own good. Just make calls. See, I see value in trying to improve a process that you're doing. For example, you know, if you are doing sales call, I see value in hiring like a consultant, have mm-hmm. them analyze your sales call and then tell, have them like, you know, point out things you can do better. Right. Definitely value there. But what I see with a lot of these MBA types is that they think that knowing business is the same as doing business. And mm, they point. are like, I'm going to work for a few years and I'm going to start a business. First of all, anyone who starts a job never starts a business. Almost no one starts a business after getting into a job simply because they get used to the paycheck. It's an addictive drug. They start liking, you know, getting their money at the end of the month. Then they start getting liabilities. Like, you know, they, they might get married, have a family, get some EMIs, buy a car on a loan or whatever. And now they literally cannot quit the job. And the job is so tiring that they can't actually start a business together or they lack the motivation. No mm. one starts a business after getting a job. It just is extremely rare. And I don't know of anybody who has a degree in business and is actually doing a business. It's like an indicator of working in some kind of management job. So if you want to start a business, just don't get an MBA. I look down on you if you have an MBA. I consider you to be inferior. <laughs> My recommendation is to just do a business if you want to do a business. You don't, you don't need an MBA. You had a good point there where you said MBA is more for management. And that's what I noticed. A lot of these guys that do MBA eventually end up becoming managers. And then they start moving up in their own company. It really depends what you want, man. I mean, I do agree with you with the business thing. The main way that you learn it is by doing it, not reading about it. Once you do it, then you should read about it. Then you turn a lot of your abstract experiences into concrete concepts. Like, whoa, I didn't even know I was doing that. And when you discovered the theory, that theory comes to life. But if you're just studying the theory and you have no experience to tie that theory to, you're just wasting your time. That's exactly it, my friend. It's like learning how to swim on the ground. (laughs) Did you ever do skateboarding before? That's how I have actually a friend of mine and I used to do it. And my friend broke three bones while doing skateboarding. So I'm not skateboarding anymore. See, brown <laughs> I saw him break it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had this one white kid in my neighborhood named Billy and he was skateboarding so cool. I was like, man, I wish I could do that. And he was trying to teach me. And the way that you learn skateboarding uh, initially is to learn on the grass. So you could understand how to balance and all that stuff. Once I was balancing right on the grass, I thought I figured out skateboarding. I'm like, I know this, right? And the then I got skateboarding. <laughs> I got my MBA in skateboarding. And then I went on the actual road and I fell on my ass. I scraped my ass and it started to hurt anytime I <laughs> anytime I sat down. And that's when I learned that learning it on grass is not the same as doing it on the street. Extract whatever analogies you need to from that. Would you ever actually skateboard though? Nah, man. The sports that I like are sports like basketball, football, occasionally baseball. I don't really like uh, 
skating or surfing, those type of sports. You? See, I went to a place where you could skate on a skateboard with my friend for three, four days. I think six, seven days, if, I, if I'm not wrong. And my friend broke three bones. And I've decided I'm not doing that shit. Not your it's thing. not worth it. Not worth. No, it's not worth it, right? If you if you fall, literally break your bones, especially with heavy guys like us, right? Mm -hmm. We aren't like the fifty kilo kilo guys. You know, if he falls, nothing happens. Right. We're like seventy five, eighty, ninety, one fifty. Not one fifty. I mean, like you know, ninety five kilos. Mm -hmm. And if you fall, you're gonna break something, or you know, seriously injure yourself, or the damage likelihood is much higher. Right. Your type of sports you mentioned are more combat. Do you still do that? Or was that stuff you did more in the past? I haven't had time for it lately. I've been working on the new startup, repurposebuy.com. Mm -hmm. And I just have so much business going on that I just have time to lift weights. I don't have time okay. to box anymore. Lift weights and trek. The lift weights and trek, pack. yes. Mm -hmm. The starter pack. Trekking is awesome. Trekking is like a, it's like a vacation on steroids. Whenever you trek, are there a lot of water areas around you? Like, can you go snorkeling as well? What is snorkeling? Snorkeling is when you have one of those little pipes, right? And then you somewhat dip your head under the water and you see all this fish and stuff under the water. Like scuba diving? Scuba diving is much deeper than that. Like, you actually have to go really deep in the water where snorkeling is more on the shallow side of things. There are there is water sometimes. Sometimes you have to cross a river. Sometimes you have to cross many rivers. Mm -hmm. But I have never heard or seen anyone do that. You gotcha. can swim in waterfalls and things like that, but never literally seen anyone snorkel. Can you swim? Yes. You. What age did you learn? Surprisingly and embarrassingly, I think around twenty. Around twenty. What What made you learn it at that time? So back when I was a kid. What our school would do is they would occasionally take you to the swimming pool. Then they would make you walk to the first or second floor or something. And then they would throw you in the pool. And that made me really scared of swimming for a long time. <laughs> where I would essentially not go swimming. I would come up with an excuse, you know. Like I forgot to bring the swimming uniform so I can't go, etc. Simply because I did not like being thrown from the second floor into the pool. Second floor? Sometimes the third floor. Yeah, they would just like swing you and throw you in the pool. And it was completely crazy. Like they would, of course, try that float thing on you so you wouldn't, you know, die. Oh, so you but had the floaties? You had the floaties. This was back when you, I was like a toddler, you know, six years old, seven years old, what have you. Yeah, but being thrown off the second story, scary. I'd be scared. Really. Scary. Yeah, I'd yeah, be scared right scary. now doing that shit. It's crazy. And they would like fling us. So we would like run back and they would catch us and fling us. And it was completely crazy and it made me scared of swimming for a long time. So I just mm -hmm. didn't swim. And then when I was a little older, I'm like, wait a minute, this is a skill set I should have, right? Being in the water, I might need to use that in the future. Mm -hmm. So I hired an instructor and learned how to swim. Was it easy to learn or did you have to tackle any fears? It was so easy. I learned it in like two days. That's quick. I'm, I learn things very, very quickly. It's surprising. So anything I want to learn, I'm able to pick up skills extremely fast. Of course, to polish the muscle memory and everything, all of that obviously takes time. Mm -hmm. But I can grasp things easily and learn fast. 
Do you normally it's get a skill a I've coach? Had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a skill I've had ever since I was a kid. Like my mother says, I could like pick up things really, really fast as a kid. I could just understand quickly, be able to execute quickly, and to be better at other people very fast. So, for example, you could be learning chess for a month, and I could learn for a day and beat you. That's insane, man! You must be. What are you, a genius? Not exactly a genius. I just have like good power to learn. I guess. That's I genius. remember actually being in a chess class and beating like the fourth. I think I was in the second grade and I was like beating the ninth graders, 10th graders in chess. And I had just learned chess. I wasn't an expert at chess. I learned a month ago, kicking your ass. So <laughs> <laughs> I learned things fast. It's a gift God has given to me. Were you ever skipped ahead in class? I would have been. Actually, that's a funny thing. The teachers wanted me to like repeat a class. Mm-hmm. They did? Back- Why? Back when I was in kindergarten, my family, like I told you, we came from a family of farmers and my father did get an education, but he got an education in his local language and we moved to the city to give me a better life. And my mother is also not very well educated until like high school and in her local language. So people in my house did not know much English, which obviously means me in kindergarten does not know much English. And what would happen in kindergarten is that I would not follow any instructions whatsoever simply because I would not understand any instructions, right? Mm-hmm. I just didn't know English. I only learned English properly recently in the last five, six, seven years simply because of LMM. I'm now interacting with so many English speakers that I learned it. And, you know, with my whole affiliate marketing business, I had to learn it for that as well. But with that, you can just, you know, make do with not as good English, assuming you can hire a proofreader. My point is, back as a kid, I didn't know much English. And the teachers were like, this guy doesn't understand anything. He's an idiot. He needs to repeat this class. And my mother mm. is like, no, he's not going to repeat his class. And right. he's not. He's extremely smart. The only thing is he doesn't know English. So we've got to teach him English. So English was a big language in your school. You had to Yeah, it, it was an English medium education. So yes, it was the language they were used to teaching. So how come you didn't fully learn it till five years ago you said slacking off you could say um see i knew enough to communicate but it wasn't clean english it wasn't fluent english it wasn't pleasant english so if you say something i could understand it but i could not and if i could repeat what you said but i couldn't string a sentence that would be grammatically correct and understandable and nice and pleasant that's very impressive by the way man because Whenever we're talking, every now and then I'll say a joke and you pick up the context and you begin laughing. Where a lot of folks I've noticed that learned English later on, I'm telling a joke and they don't get it at all. They're just like, and then they see me doing this and they're like, oh, he's telling a joke. So, <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So so it's impressive, man, that you're picking up the context um, and this isn't even your first language. You're understanding the nuances and everything. And you read a lot, right? Yeah, I read a lot. In fact, that really helped me with my English, reading books. Harry Potter? Harry Potter, yes. There was a series I used to read. It was called the Aragorn series. Aragorn, Eldest, a couple of books like that by this guy called Khrushchev Paolini. Those were my first novels and they really helped me become better in English. There was this linguist teacher who uh, was responsible for ESL. This is when people from overseas come to the U.S. and they need to uh, 
learn the language of English. And before in the curriculum, basically these guys that are moving to the U.S., they were being taught to give presentation skills, right? But this linguist teacher was like, hmm, something about this isn't right. Because these guys that were having to present, they were terrified because they were very self-conscious. So this linguist teacher was like, okay, scrap that. I want some students to try out this following curriculum. And he basically had his following students just read. No exams, no uh, memorizing words, none of that. Just read. And his students ended up being some of the best presenters out there uh, versus the people who were being taught presentation skills from the get-go. So the moral was, if you want to learn a new language, begin to read more and read without expectations. Read stuff that you enjoy and stop testing too many of these kids on what they're reading because now they're reading with the wrong intention. It should be free reading. I agree with this philosophy, you could say, except for the stop testing part, because in my experience, I've seen a lot of people who would not do anything if they were not being tested on it. Yeah, but I think uh, the, when you test too much, you're not reading the content to actually understand. You're looking I agree, to but pass. See, you're, asking, you're answering the different thing. You're saying test too much. I'm not saying test too much. I'm saying don't not test at all. There is a middle ground there. Yes, uh, test some sometimes. I, I can go behind that idea, but I like his idea of just free reading. I, I don't think if you are coming to the country, you should be initially bombarded with tests. I think you should just read. And by the way, the guy that I'm talking about, his name is Stephen Krashen. So he's been this linguist teacher for a long time. So if you're ever thinking about how to take in a new language, he gives you a lot of practical tips. Um, Interesting. What do you what do you get in the car with a guy named Krashen? Who? Oh, the guy named Krashen. No. <laughs> he, he looks like he looks like it's a, a bad omen. It's a bad omen. The guy's name is Krashen. <laughs> K-R-A-S-H-E-N, though. Oh, K-R-A. Yeah. There's a brand which does that, right? K instead of C. Kmart? No, it's a car company. It's instead of saying compressor, they use the K. I forget which one it is. Kia? I think it's BMW, I think. Okay. The car is a compressor with a K. Do you go to places like Best Buy ever? I used to as a kid. So you guys have a Best Buy? Well, not exactly Best Buy, but we have Big Bazaar. Like they sell electronics mainly? Oh, no, no, no. So this is for groceries. But we do have places that do sell electronics. But they're local. I mean, did you guys ever have things like Radio Shack, Circuit City, that sort of stuff? Brand Smart? We do, but they aren't the same brands. We have Reliance Digital, things like that. Okay. Dude, I went to Best Buy recently, and I honestly just want them to fail. I want that business, that entire empire to be shut down because they are such an embarrassment. I want what happened to Radio Shack and Circuit City to happen to Best Buy. And my experiences with these tech companies, it just makes me appreciate Amazon so much more because these companies where you can actually go inside, they drop the ball so much with such poor talent that they need to fix it. 
And it just makes me appreciate Amazon, man. They always come in clutch. Mm. When when you buy laptops, where do you buy from? Amazon? I buy them from the brand. I mean, do you go to a store or do you just go to on the website and buy it? So I'm going to answer this because my answer is probably going to hurt some anonymity. So I'll answer it. Let me find the words. So when I okay. typically buy something, I will, I know the supplier who supplies it wholesale. And I will not tell you how I know them. Okay. But I get like a very good price compared to, you know, what you pay. And oftentimes I just know the guy who is the official distributor for that brand. So if I want something from Samsung, I get it from the guy who's importing it for Samsung. Okay. So something you might pay, say, 20,000 rupees for might actually cost me like 12,000. Interesting. Okay, I'll, I'll just leave it at that then. I, I was just curious if you went to a physical location or if you went on the website, but it seems like you have a different strategy. Most folks out there, when they want to buy something electronic, and it's a big decision, like a laptop, they actually want to hold it first. They want to try it out first. And that's where um, these physical retail shops can actually get a leg up on Amazon. So that's what Best Buy is. They have a bunch of cameras, laptops, uh, lamps, and such. So I go to one recently because my laptop stopped working and I am the hottest lead right now. I am going in with the intention to buy a laptop. Whoever sells it to me, you are guaranteed a sell, granted that you're not a dumbass. Um, and this is where I have too much expectations. I go in Best Buy, <laughs> I go in Best Buy and I see, uh, so Best Buy people wear blue shirts, right? All of them, that's their uniform. So mm -hmm. I see a pool of blue shirt people are um, uh, all in a huddle and they're having a sales meeting. Like, this is how you sell. One guy's like standing on a chair and he's giving this rah-rah speech. I'm thinking, this is very weird for me to just see as I'm coming in as a customer. I'm like, why don't one of you guys try to sell me? And suddenly a guy that's not wearing a blue shirt, he's wearing a shirt, uh, like a regular dress shirt and he has a COVID mask on, right? He comes to me and he's like, can I help you, sir? I'm like, oh, wait, you work here? I thought you were a customer too. And this guy was supposed to sell me. Like this guy, hopefully he's not a dumbass. Bro, for the next 15 to 20 minutes, he's over here trying to sell me video game laptops. He's like, look, I understand what you want, but if I were you, and I would try out these video game laptops, which by the way are like $2,000 to $4,000. I'm like, my dude. I don't play video games. All right. Just give me what I asked you for. No, you still need an Alienware. You got to yeah. pay for the Alienware. <laughs> that was one of the names, bro. And he's just like, you sure you're never going to play video games? I'm like, I'm sure, man. Just give me the fucking thing I'm telling you to get me. And eventually he's showing an attitude now. He, he loses enthusiasm and he's kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah. I guess you could get this one. And I'm like, yeah, bring it from the it's back. It's like a little brother, you know? You know, when you're buying something cool, your little brother is like, get this one, get this one. Get this one instead. And I was like, get me this laptop from the back. And he comes from the back empty-handed. It's like, we're out of stock. I'm like, get me this laptop then. He goes in the back, comes back empty-handed. He's like, we're out of stock. And at this point, I'm like, you know what, man? I really tried. I really wanted you guys to win right now because I'm tired of Amazon just taking over everything. But you know what I'm going to do right now? I'm going to leave and I'm going to buy my laptop from Amazon. I bought it from Amazon, bro. Came the next day, perfect condition, no wait time needed, and no unnecessary 
video game uh, uh, pitches. Interesting. I think Fuck you Best shouldn't Buy, bro. Based, I'm not sure if it's right to base your opinion about the entire company based on one employee. Bro, not one employee. This happened six times in different interactions from me buying cameras to me buying YouTube lamps to me buying GoPros, laptops, and much more. They have some of the most incompetent salesmen out there. And what's annoying is that if there's one incompetent salesman in a certain thing, there's only one salesman for a certain department. So you can't go to another person because now they're, uh, they know a lot about another department. So if you need cameras, they only have one guy for cameras. And if you're asking him some basic questions and he can't answer it, you can't go to another person because they're in charge of laptops. Six, six times, bro. Man, I would have solved after the fourth. I want to give them a chance, bro, because I really want to try out the electronics, hold it before I make a commitment. You know, you do the same thing that I do in bookstores now where I will go to a bookstore. Mm-hmm. If I like a book, I will see the price on Amazon. And if it's cheaper on Amazon, I'll just order it on Amazon, right? Ah, in that bookstore. Damn, and then I feel bro. a little bit bad about it. Wait a minute. Like, this bookstore, they're probably running out of business. I could have That's given shady, them some bro. money. And here I am ordering from Amazon. <laughs> but it's just much more convenient, you know, because if you buy, let's say you're at the mall or something and you buy a book, then you have to hold that book and carry it around the rest of the time you're there. But well, if you, buy, you just it, buy from Amazon from the get-go, I go to the bookstores. To check out what books are there. Oh, so you go there for recommendations? Yeah, just to browse the catalog, see what's new. I also like the environment of a bookstore, but mm-hmm. they will typically just buy from Amazon. I will give them the chance, so like, can you match this price? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Which bookstore do you go to? Is it the big ones? The bigger, the better, yes. Barnes and Nobles? They are closing down left and right, though. Which which one do you go to? Or is it Docsworthy? Docsworthy. Okay, never mind. See, the thing about India is that we have stores that operate in regional places. So there's a store that might operate in one state, not operate in the other. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to accidentally take some names and you get like a triangulated place, you know. You went to this store and this store. There's only like so many places where these two mm-hmm. coexist. <laughs> one of the listeners are like, aha, I found out where he's from. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, pretty much I've been ordering from Amazon with laptops and electronics. So I just know people who can like get it for cheaper. Sometimes I will buy them online though. Sometimes it's like, uh, you know, not worth it to call up the guy and not waste his time to save like 200 bucks. Who cares about that? Are there anything where you would like to go to a physical place and just buy it from the physical place versus Amazon? See, I used to have a lot of items in that list, but over time that list has been shrinking. So earlier I would have told you that I would not buy electronics from Amazon and I would buy them from a real store because I don't want them to be fake. And mm-hmm. now I'm like, the electronics are guaranteed to be real if it's from Amazon, so just buy it from Amazon. So Even this what- mic, bro. This mic. I was giving Best Buy the chance, man. I'm like, guys, I'm coming in as a hot lead. You better not mess this one up. They still mess it up, my friend. They always mess it up. Once Is again, Best let me... Buy the biggest one? Um, I think it's the biggest one that's remaining. That's why I really want them to fix up whatever the hell's going on because the fact that multiple Best Buys have such incompetent employees, this should alarm Best Buy because, fam, you will get wiped out just like Circuit City and Radio Shack did. 
you are not in a safe market where you should allow this sort of incompetence to fly by. Retrain your employees. And I by understand. the way, and by I the way, the, uh, the, remember I told you how there was a pool of Best Buy employees by me and the guy that came to me was not wearing a Best Buy uniform? Mm-hmm. So a lot of these guys are not really working in Best Buy. They're consultants. So I think he actually was hired by the video game laptops to sell the video game laptops. So he'd get a bigger commission, I'm assuming, if he oh. sold me the right, right? So he's hurting my experience just so he could get a bigger commission. Or any commission. Any commission. And I'm like, that's why he's trying to sell me a $4,000 laptop versus, let's say, an $800 laptop. What do you look for on a laptop? I just wanted to have uh, memory. I want it to be big. I don't like the small laptops too much. It's simple, man. I, I don't That's need. What she said. <laughs> um, yeah, just a like a nice big laptop where it's um has good battery power. I'm a simple guy. You? I have a desktop. Oh, you have a desktop? You don't have any I laptops? Do not... I have some laptops, but I barely use them. I don't enjoy using laptops. I don't know why. Just I don't like the small screen. I have a 49-inch screen. On 49-inch? Yeah, it's a 49-inch screen. And I might buy a second one. But with a laptop, you're stuck with a 14-inch screen. It's like a mini thing. You have to zoom in for everything. But you could Not get a fan a, of laptops. You, you could get a different screen as well. Additional... But then it's, it's a desktop then. It's a desktop pretty much. Do you have multiple screens or do you have just one big one? I used to have two screens, but then I just bought this ultra wide screen. It's a Samsung or Dexy something. I don't know what the exact thing is, but it's mm. ultra wide. It's really good. And I love it. Do you have one of those standing uh, desks? No, I have a nice chair. I have this chair. It's called the Herman Miller Aeron. It's a really expensive chair. It costs like 1500 bucks for the chair. But it's a really, really, really good chair. You can sit on it for like the entire day and not feel anything in your back. What's the when... longest you've sat on that chair without a long break? Maybe 16 hours. 16 hours? Okay. You definitely need a good chair then. I, I will regularly sit a long time. Earlier, I, was, I used to sit a lot without stretching. Now I will like wake up from my desk every few hours, stretch my body. So I don't get blood clots later in life. Some people nowadays, they get one of those standing desks and they put it, they build it up above their uh, treadmill. So they're walking and working at the same time. How well does that work though? Is it a good idea? Have you tried it? I one time saw someone that tried it and I was like, hey, let me just send a quick email from your laptop. I just tried the experience. I didn't like it. I think you would get used to it after a while, but it seems like overkill. Mm-hmm. It's not like you can walk fast while you're working, can you? No. He but kept it, it very low. Yeah, it's very low. So what are you going to achieve? You know, you walk at like 1 kmph for a full day. You walk, how many steps have you walked? Not that many. You're walking a thousand steps an hour. So if you keep it on for 10 hours, you walk 10,000 steps. You burned 400 calories. I can do that in an hour and a half. So according to their logic, it's not really about the steps. It's about remaining alert. I don't know. I would have to try it. I, 
I can't comment on it. Maybe it helps you be more alert. You never know. It might actually work. So I don't want to dismiss it without giving it a real shot. But it just seems like, at least from the way I'm imagining it, seems like a lot of things would be much harder to do. For example, this podcast, if I'm walking, it's probably not going to sound as good. <laughs> I just pictured you walking while doing this podcast. It's one of those situations where don't fix it if it's not broken. If you like what you're doing, then keep it. At least with something like this, where I'm perfectly fine sitting down and working. I don't see the need to walk, stand up, stuff like that. I can see it beneficial for some people. Mm -hmm. I can see how some people might like prefer standing over sitting for a long time. Makes sense. Whatever works for you, I guess. Yeah, I don't mind if I stand every now and then. Where that's where a lot of the desks and the companies nowadays do, where you could actually raise it up when your back is feeling sore, and then you can stand and work. But this guy, the way that he set it up, the way that he built it on top of his treadmill, he could only stand. He couldn't sit. That's what I don't like. I like the option of being able to sit or stand. I highly, 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 highly recommend buying this chair. It's the Herman Miller Aeron chair. It's really good. And if you have some kind of back issue or, you know, your back hurts after a while and sitting on a chair and you have to sit on a chair all day, this is a chair which is worth the investment. Just get this chair. I have four of these chairs now. Four? Yeah, I have one for every room, every desk I have. This chair is really good. I highly recommend it. Do you... Let me think real quick. Why do you have four though? Do you have that many desktops or these are for different purpose for each chair? Different stuff, you know, one can be for my father to sit on because I also want him to be comfortable. Then, you know, for my dining table and things like that. So different places. I don't want to drag my chair from my office all the way somewhere else. Do your parents work from home as well? They do now sometimes, yes. My dad is now consulting. So yes, he is working from home. How is But we also have an office. It's fine, normal. Does he ever get office sick? No, he actually prefers this. I know some people that don't like working from home at all. They feel lonely and they willingly go back to the office. For a lot of people, yes. But I have a family at home, right? I'm not alone. So Mm -hmm. I've noticed that people who feel... Like they're alone without being in office. Are people no, who don't what, have a real life? No, what you just said, a lot of people go to the office to escape from their family. It's like, bro, I'm seeing my wife too much, man. I really got to go to the office right now. Ah, <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> I need some space. Because if you see a person too much times, now you're getting too comfortable with them. And even small things that they do, which you were okay with before, now it begins annoying you. You'd be surprised how many people are together solely because of the time they spend, you know, away from each other. I have heard that. I've heard um, a lot of couples uh, sleep in different bedrooms because they like to sleep by themselves. If they're going to hook up, they hook up, but then they go back to their own bedrooms. Oh, is that a thing? That's crazy. Mm -hmm. That's fucking crazy. That's weird. Yeah. Why would you do that? It doesn't make sense. Right. Completely insane to do that, man. Like, would you do that in your marriage? I would not. No, I wouldn't. 
I could see why someone would though. Like some people are, they've been alone for so many years that they just got adjusted to it, and it just so happens that the per- person that they're marrying is like that too. They haven't had a relationship in a long time, so it's awkward to bring it up because if you bring it up first, now it begins to signal to the other person that you don't find them attractive to sleep in the same bed with them. But if you could get the message across to the other person with by saying, "Look, it's not a you problem." It's just a me kind of thing. I really like my own bed by myself. I don't like a hot body just sleeping with me too much. Do you understand? And if the other person understands, they're like, oh, "Thank God, I'm the same way too." Then I could see that working out. Most couples, I don't think they should do that, but for certain couples, I could see the case for why they do that. Of course, some exceptions exist for everything. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I was just trying to say. Why someone would do something like yeah, that? Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Because they've been single all their lives, and now adjusting to sleeping to a person is an adjustment. Because there's a lot of funny memes where when you're sleeping with a girl, the girl could be half your size, but she'll take up seventy five percent of the bed. Oh, while you could be this gargantuan dude, and you're sleeping like this. Have you ever seen memes <laughs> like this? Yeah. Have you ever seen those memes? I just steal yeah. your blanket. He steals your blanket, man. <laughs> 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 and if you're a wealthy dude and you have seven bedrooms and your kids moved out, you're like, hey, hey, hon, you mind uh, taking the other rooms? <laughs> Leave, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that would be funny as hell. <laughs> But the case I gave you is where both people are down to sleep alone. But imagine if one person is not down, and now that's oh, a huge sorry. argument. <laughs> It shouldn't be an argument, you know. It's like a marriage. You act like you're married. Act like you're married, but the fact that that first guy even brought it up now, she's she or he is going to resent that for a long time. Like, of course, I, I had to force this guy to sleep in the same bed with me. Man, that would not be good for a girls' conference for sure. Your right. husband doesn't want to be in the same bed as you. Whoa, yeah. Whoa, oh yeah. Do you still have some time, or uh, just curious? Oh, I need to get going. Actually, I need to get some dinner. Do okay. we have any questions for this week? Yes, we do. We actually have a decent amount. Uh, so awesome. Let's start with Punet. Uh, hey so, Punet, what's up? What's up, Punet? Good to see um, that you're watching our episodes. Yeah, uh, and you also have insightful questions. So the first one is a long question. Um, would love to hear both of your story from childhood to current situations. What situations, skills, beliefs, etc. Shaped you because you are both from normal families. Example: My father had a computer shop, so learned many digital skills relatively young. Opened YouTube channel to teach same. Came across freelancing on YouTube while looking to monetize, so generated income. Discovered you on Twitter, which expanded my perspective. I don't think you have shared this before, but by being relatable, you can inspire a lot of people and give idea on how to deal better with similar situations. This question can spark more conversation topics, so feel free to discuss it in between and take as long as you need. Man, thank you for your permission. <laughs> <laughs> I just I posted it uh, on the chat as well. If you just, I think he's a cool guy. But this question is is like a podcast topic in itself. Maybe we should do a podcast on that specifically. I don't think we can answer this as a small question. Okay, that's fine because he actually has another question called short question. So let's cover, or l- let me read that one. Punit, we'll cover your long question on the next episode. 
Short question. How do you carry long conversations so consistently? I can hold them for 20 minutes on deep topics, but struggle to know. Uh, AKA number one, when to change subjects. Number two, when to change it to um, such. Any additional tips? Because I'm not too much aware of what to improve. Context. I mostly do this with friends who are a bit into self-improvement and open-minded and some whom I find online to build good connections. From my perspective, I just show up. Armand does everything. <laughs> He's the communication expert. But to be honest, like to answer seriously a question, I'm an extrovert, so I didn't have to learn it. I just got it for free. For sure. And to answer the question from a different angle as well. Um, oh, did you have anything else, Harsh? No. I would honestly recommend... Um, for you to hold long conversations versus conversations, that's a different thing. Long conversations, both people need to be down. If you're trying to breathe life into a zombie, uh, they don't have any social skills or such, you can try carrying the conversation, but eventually at a certain period, it's just going to feel like you're interrogating them because they're not putting in any effort. So the first thing for long conversations is that both people need to be down. Um, they need to be open to engaging with one another. And the second thing is, when to change subjects, you'll typically get a feel for it when you notice a excessively long pause. That's when you notice that, okay, you've exhausted this topic, you don't have anything to say, and the other person doesn't have anything to say. Um, so that's when you are like, okay, let me switch to another topic. And for the additional tips, here's one that I would give you. One platitude that gets repeated a lot is think before you speak. And I think that's a very good advice for a politician, a celebrity, a person who's having a lot of eyeballs on them while they're solo. But when you're in a conversation, you don't want to think before you speak. You want to be present while you speak. Because if you're thinking too much, now you're not paying attention to the other person. They're giving you a lot of potential conversation material, but you're thinking about what to say. And the way that social skills works is that when you have the perfect thing to say, now this person is on a different topic, and now you're back to thinking again. So complete waste of time. Be present. And the more present that you are, the more organic that your conversation skills will be. And I would say that's about it from my end. I agree. In fact, I highly recommend reading this book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Go to socialskillswisdom.com for the Underwise edition. It's the best edition to read. For sure. The next is from MK Board. Amazing episode. Thank you, brother. Uh, the next one is from Shrey Yanch Agarwal. It's interesting how you guys discuss different USA states. That's what I would like to know more about Oregon, Illinois. I've never been to Oregon. Uh, Illinois, I believe that's where Chicago is in. Uh, Illinois, most people don't know much about it. I believe there's a lot of farmlands and such. People really go for Chicago. Now, Chicago gets a lot of bad rep and publicity on a global scale. People only think about shootings and gangs. But in reality, Chicago is one of the nicest places to visit. I call it a tamed New York. Where in New York, you're just bumping shoulder to shoulder with people left and right because it's so busy. Chicago's a bit more tamed version of that. There's a beautiful city life. A lot of families move there multicultural. I love Chicago. 
Isn't Chicago the city where there's a lot of gun violence? <laughs> um, th- that's typically the perception of it. But Chicago is broken down into different boroughs. And certain boroughs, there's a lot of gang violence. But other boroughs are friendly. You know, I saw a video of someone. They just recorded the audio in Chicago for like five minutes. And if you play it again and you amplify, you know, you do some compression on it and you amplify the background sound, you hear gunshots in the background. Oh, yeah. Th- that's the typical perception of Chicago. That if you go there, you're going to die. Man. My, comp- my company booked me to go there one time. And that was my initial presupposition. I'm like, man, I'm really scared. What if I die? But the place that they booked me in was so nice, man. I ended up staying in the Trump Hotel. Um, this is when Trump was running for president. So there was all these protests going on. But despite these protests, you still could look at Chicago for the bigger picture. It's nice. What's the worst city to be in in your country? Let me think. Whom do you want to offend? See, I haven't been to all these different states. Have you been to Flint? Flint, Michigan? Yes. Would you go there? Nah. Nah. I mean, the thing is, when you're a U.S. citizen and you're thinking about taking a trip, you want to go somewhere where there's automatically, okay, if I go there, I'm definitely doing this, right? When people come to Florida, automatically they're like Disney World. When people are going to Las Vegas, they know they're going to go to the Strip. California, I want to check out the Hollywood sign. You want to have these little triggers that get activated. Where for me, Flint, Michigan, there's no trigger that's getting activated. Um, so I don't really know, man. I, I, I actually don't know. Um, Would you consider moving to something like Dubai or Singapore or Bangkok? Nah, I wouldn't want to move there. I'd visit there, but I'd like to keep U.S. the home base. You? Would you ever move out of India? No comments. No comments. Okay. All right. Before we get you doxed on this question, let's go to the next (laughs) (laughs) one. They became us. What is Harsh's and Arman's height and weight? Hey, man, I am not looking to get married to someone online. Please stop asking. Okay, let me do some little conversions real quick because I know Harsh always roasts me for using feet and pounds. Um, okay, so I am 182.88 centimeters and I am 87.5 kilograms. What is the net worth? No comment. But why would you answer his question? His question is dumb. <laughs> um... That's all, my dude. That's all the questions. Awesome, brother. Great episode. And we'll see all of you guys again in two weeks. If you guys have any questions, leave it below. But if you're asking something like my height, weight, net worth, probably not going to answer you. What's your body count? What's your body count? (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously, what's your body count, man? No, I'm just joking with you. Uh, Lower than I want. Higher than it should be. All right, folks, uh, thank you for joining and we will catch you on the next episode. You too, brother. See ya.